You are Welcome the to the Rouge, Rouge White Blue White CFL Blue. podcast. I'm Oz Davis. Of the Canadian Show. As always, having returned from China Canada, home of the 109th Great Cup, is Joe Fisher. Joe, how are you? I had a 10 out of 10 weekend. Okay, great. Could have been, could have been 15 out of 10, but I'll take 10 out of 10. 15 out of 10. Okay, so you're not going to go 9.9 out of 10. It was 10 out of 10. All right. Okay, great. I, I'm glad you uh, responded that way because that's how I wanted to talk, uh, start the show. We'll talk about the Great Cup in just a moment. A little bit about the season past. Just a moment. But I did want to ask you this first, Joe. As I ask you every year about this time, how was the experience? What'd you do? It couldn't have been, it couldn't have been better. Okay. Uh, Regina's hard to get to from Minneapolis, unfortunately. So I have I had a few options. I could go either through Pearson in Toronto, pray that I caught the right connection and everything went swell on that, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners could tell you isn't really a guarantee there right now. Mm-hmm. And pay a few more hundred bucks, or I could, or I could pay what I paid, fly fly to Winnipeg, and take a six hour car ride the next day with my buddy. So that's what I did. Um, so Wednesday night, I got to start my start my journey. Thursday morning into the early afternoon, we, I was continuing to journey. Just had a great time, relaxing, enjoying the presence of a friend that I see a couple times a year. End up in Regina and that night we went to Spirit of Edmonton which felt like a family reunion because a lot of mm-hmm. us haven't gone to a Grey Cup since 2019 right. so we'll see yeah. that great way great way to start the weekend that way and got to meet got to meet a listener for the first time it's always good uh, somebody I've known on Twitter for quite some time but still great to know that they're a listener and just it's all. It's always a little bit of an ego boost when you hear, "Hey, I, I listen and I like it." Well, of course, <laughs> yeah. sure, sure. I'm getting an ego boost just listening to it secondhand. Um. <laughs> so yeah. So then Friday we did uh, the Touchdown Manitoba event we do every year, right. and then Friday night was the Tweet Up, which was set up by Janice Owen. Uh, this was not a league sponsored event this year. We had to make it happen ourselves as fans. Uh, the PA uh, did send some players. It was nice. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Dustin Nielsen also came to party for a little while, which is always even better. Just great to, and it was great to start connecting some names to faces that I haven't met before. Uh, like yeah. I, I put out a tweet a couple days ago. It was nice to meet some old friends again, and nice to meet some old friends I haven't ever, I haven't even met yet. So that's how the Twitter world works sometimes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's been like that. Uh, for me since what the aughts the late aughts when I was covering basketball in Europe I would have a relationship with these people this was even before social media was so immediate as well you know I'd have relationships with these people two three years before I finally went to a game and met them (laughs) meet them in Istanbul or London or something like this you know and uh, but I already known them for X amount of time so that it is It is the virtual age as far as this reporting stuff goes. Um, yep. And then we did have our CFL fan, Fans Fight Cancer event. Uh, right. Steve from the Piffles podcast. And he had Sean, Sean as well helping him out. 
um, put together a great event over at the Canadian Brew House on the east side of Regina. Uh, uh, the number I've I've heard numbers around twenty one or twenty two thousand dollars raised. So that was a fan. That's always my favorite event to go to. Uh, any great cup and even better uh, when it's thrown as well as Steve was able to make it happen. So kudos to Steve and Sean for for putting up with us, for putting up with all of it, because it was a fantastic event. And I believe that's the record for that event. So I'm glad to hear I'm glad to hear it went so well. Yeah, well, it's nice to hear that they made money. Uh with things being as tight as they are, with things at the event being so expensive as they are. So good to know that people are still able to give in these circumstances. Um, okay. Game itself. All right. So so I always like to ask for us, where were you sitting? So take think about where the main TV camera is. Okay. And then yep. put me right below it oh wow i was nice. first first deck okay on the camera side right okay. uh i could there was people there were there was a, a like a bit of a wall and then people were sitting up top above me and then there was like and then there was and then it was like an open deck to the inside of the concourse wow so i was able okay. to stand okay. the whole game which was nice because i could keep my feet moving and keep my feet warmer than they warm <laughs> Right. Warm is right. a relative term here. I mean, right. it, it wasn't bad. It was probably about 15 to 25 degrees Fahrenheit or, you know, yeah. it, it was anywhere between, it was around five degrees, uh, minus five Celsius. Right. For, right. Right. Yeah. Just for, just to give you a picture of what we're dealing with, where we were sitting, we didn't, we weren't in the wind much. So that was even better. Mm. Still, it's not. It's not exactly a tropical climate, so it was nice to be able to stand when I felt like standing and keep my feet moving. But the view, I, I couldn't have asked for a better view of the game. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of cool having that view because it's what you're used to, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see, you know, it's the all 24 angle, right? So you can actually see it's like can, getting the sorry, right? You get you're you're not zoomed out. Or, or you're not zoomed in, I should say. You're zoomed right. out. So right. I was able to see on one of the opening plays that Toronto was running on offense, uh, Brandon Alexander sniffing out what they were doing on a short flare flare pass set up to the right side. Mm -hmm. I saw him come down into the box right before the snap and then just trail the receiver and make what could have been a 5-10 to 10 yard completion turn into nothing. But I wouldn't have been able to see that in the TV angle unless I was right. looking for it. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Huh, really nice, really nice. Now, okay, so it was really cool. Now, <laughs> uh, of course, this has been kind of a running thing on Twitter all season. A lot of people sort of doomsaying about the crowd. Okay, so apparently it was officially reported as a sellout. Um, was it full? It wasn't full. It was over two thirds full for sure. Okay. Uh, I would just imagine that that was a hard resell because you're looking at a place that you needed to do some planning to get a hotel room in. Mm. The te the local team is also not even close to being in it. So a lot of 
people were probably trying to sell their tickets early. Probably were able to, some of the early adopters to that strategy may have been able to sell them. We were able to get those seats I talked about two weeks before the game. And there were right. some giveaways okay. going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it, 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 It's a hard sell when there's when there's I I don't I I'm not trying to pick on pick on the city here because they actually did a really good job running this. It's just there's not a ton of hotel rooms available. What was available was expensive, so it's probably easier if you're living four or five hours away and a writer season ticket holder got your Grey Cup tickets early. Maybe just consider that a sunk expense instead of tripling or quadrupling that. And co- going to see your rivals play in the Grey Cup, right? Right. I can easily see that have been a scenario for a good chunk of people, and I'm sure right. plenty were selling it. Uh, we actually, or my buddy actually won a set of tickets at the cancer event, and we couldn't find anybody to just give them away to. <laughs> just the way it worked, and we didn't spend a ton yeah. of effort on it, but we just made sure that the friends that wanted to go. Either already had tickets or already had plans not to go before we just called it a day on it. This was pretty much the analysis on Twitter, too. It's like, well, here's a bunch of folks living in the province, right? They know what negative five is like out there, and their team's not in it. And the Argos are in it, and almost nobody really cares about the Argos. So, and maybe if it was BC Toronto, it might have been there might have been a few more people in the seats with Nathan Rourke making his first Grey Cup appearance in that event. It wouldn't have been the rival team, right? It might have been an easier sell for a diehard Ryder fan to go to that matchup Mm -hmm. instead of Winnipeg. In Toronto, because Toronto doesn't get a whole ton of sympathy from anybody else either, just because of a lot because of a lot of reasons. Let's just not even dive into that because we don't have all night. <laughs> okay, all right. So, all right. You said that you 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 exercise the option to stand quite often, uh, just to you know keep it moving or whatever, but. For us at home, this was edge of your seat kind of stuff the whole game. Um, was it like that for you as well? I mean, were you oh, the just whole like, time. I, yeah. I probably stood the whole fourth quarter because there was no reason to get back down in my seat. I'd be up again anyway. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, let's uh, get on to the game. I wanted to ask you this in the bigger picture of things. Um, how do you think that this game will be remembered? Um, not, I, I don't mean that in terms of, oh, yeah, you know, the bomber street ended. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but just, you know, what will be the storylines of this game? I think special teams are going to be the entire storyline, which, <laughs> which isn't quite fair to the Argos. I think the Argos outplayed the bombers and and the score actually flattered the Bombers. But the Bombers made a huge special teams play, but with Jeremy Grant scoring a touchdown. Right. That's point. And there were points exchanged on missed field goals and missed extra points. Both teams were missing kicks. 
both teams gave up large returns, although the Bombers scored on their big return and the Toronto would go on to. Just so many, there were so many ups and downs. It's going to be remembered as a game where special teams had a huge impact and there wasn't really anybody in control for the most part until the end. And even then, it was a it was, it was a special teams. Thing. It was special mm-hmm. teams, though. Even in the end, I mean, yep. it was all about that, right? You're absolutely right. Um, the only other thing that I had was is think about how, and again, I love this, right? Canadian football. Think about the impact of the backup quarterbacks in this game. Both of them, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only did Brukop score the two touchdowns. But he had, I think, I mean, again, you can't blame the game on one play, on one player, whatever, because you could also blame it on the mixed extra point. But the interception for me is what flipped the game. That's what flipped I, the game. I can't argue with that. It, it was a it was a shot to try to put distance between the two teams. Because at that point it was a six point lead, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Don't yes, mind me if I haven't gone back point. and read and read anything more about it. I experienced <laughs> it once. That's enough for me. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a hey, let's try to go up by twelve or fourteen or what have you in one shot. And the bar, and, and it, I don't feel like it was necessary, but in retrospect, now the bombers weren't moving the ball much on offense. So I wonder if that was a. That was the calculation there. It was, let's take a shot here because we haven't been moving it the conventional way very well. Man. Wow. That first half, a 10-7 to 7 lead for the Bombers didn't feel right because Toronto, I felt like, dominated the first half and didn't have the score to reflect that. I kind of just thought that defense is dominating the first half in general because the Bombers had that nice strip sack Uh yeah, the strip sack that was that was so important uh, early on. Uh, I thought that was a big deal, um, and even though they gave it up right at the end of the first half, did the did the bombers that uh, the Argos didn't connect on one of the three times BD couldn't connect on a field goal in this game. But going back to the interception. <laughs> Because again, for me, it was one of those moments in time that happened during sports, right? Where you could where you could see what was going to happen thereafter. I mean, what was the thinking? I mean, like, like did did you expect that? No, there in that uh, when the when Prukop's in the game, I'm thinking run. I'm thinking the defense is thinking run, <laughs> and I do expect if it's going to be a pass, it's going to be something like that, or it's going to be a screen to the other side. Well, yeah, something to keep the defense off balance and keep them from committing fully to Prukrop running because that's his main skill. Right, right. But yeah, that was the thing, though. They had used him. I mean, he had passed it like four times previously, and then he was involved either doing it himself or handing it off in four running plays before that. He had accounted for about something like 15 yards and then he swings for the fences <laughs> like what i i just i just did not understand in the moment uh what was going on there 
I, I no. That, why I, do you make this call? That that I wonder if nuts. that was a concession to the idea that the Argos defense was stiffening and keeping the Bombers from running the offense they wanted to. I wonder also about Zach Clarissa's health. If that was a thought about things too, because Zach didn't have a great game either. Don't have any clue about what his actual injury status was, and probably never will. But that wasn't. <laughs> The Zach Galaros I know mm-hmm. in that game. And I, first of all, blamed it, attributed it to the cold. But again, thinking over things, it's like, yeah, you wonder, wonder, because he was able to be mobile, but he wasn't as mobile as usual, exactly what you expect. So I'm not thinking injury. I'm thinking more cold. But then in retrospect, you're also, when you run it over again, it's like, hmm, I wonder if there was more to that than we know. Yeah. Well, again, they at lost. the same time, though, there's no excuse there, because especially when you think about the fact that McLeod Bethel Thompson left the game with a dislocated right. thumb and right. his backup managed to lead the big drive at the end to make right. this a 24-23 game. Yeah, he ended up four or five for like a handful of yards. It really wasn't even that many. The, 15, Chad Kelly. the, the second and 15 run was the killer. Right, 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 right. Right, that's what did it. That's well, that's another thing that did it. Right, that was it, that was a that was a momentum shift in right. and of itself. Because yeah, right. at that point you're you're thinking, okay, second and fifteen. If they don't complete this pass, and that was after a failed challenge, a holding call. Right, things were going poorly. Right, and then you set up for a field goal on a cold day with a kicker that's not known for his accuracy. Even if he makes it. You're still a three point lead. You're going to get the ball at the 40. You have a chance to finish it off. And then that, then, then the run. And then they're in scoring, in scoring range and they score right away. Yeah. And now Kelly. it goes from you have a shot to put the game away to now we have to score. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. Kelly, Kelly split the field like most of this party in the Red Sea on that one because you had. At least four guys ready, like on him, right? They're rushing the passer. And then the other dudes were all deep covering the receivers. So he had that hole as the, the second level, as they like to call it. He had that whole thing wide open until he got to the first down mark. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a killer. But the first time I've seen a quarterback take off from the pocket with a wide open hold to the left side yeah, and stick the dagger in the bombers in a game. The yeah. Great Cup or the 07 Labor Day game comes to mind all of a sudden for some reason. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I should um, just not go to games in Regina anymore. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But, you know, again, um, to, to, it's like, okay, so, so on one hand, you know, you can say that there really wasn't any outstanding individual performance in this game. But on the other hand, I mean, again, here the here are the Bombers. They lost by one point, and there were several points at which, you know, they blew it, right? They had many opportunities to win this game. Which so, also brings me back to the Montreal home game midseason right? where they lost their nine their nine game winning streak. They had chance after chance after chance right. after chance right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But they also won a lot of games this year, just like this, by making one play when it mattered. Right. Right. And and this was the other thing for me. This is one thing I, I went over uh, in reviewing this game. They started the fourth quarter up 17 to 14. And then we got the return for the touchdown. Uh, Grant. Right? Okay. So they're up by nine. Now, <laughs> the Bombers have given up 10 or more points in the fourth quarter twice this season. Okay. Once was in that second to last game against BC, in which they were starting mostly second stringers. The other time was when? Do you remember? You gotta like this one. Mm-hmm. Week five versus Toronto, final score 23-22. Because they <laughs> missed the extra point at the end. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So Toronto in their defense, uh, because you know, a lot of people, I mean. They were the class of the East and whatnot, but a lot of people weren't too impressed. Most of the season they spent hovering around 500 and whatnot. But this was the one team that ultimately the Bombers did not want to face in this game. Right? They were the one team that could do the one thing that no other team does against the Bombers this year, which is score in the fourth quarter. And score in the second half, to be realistic. I mean, they gave up 12 points to BC in the second half in the championship game. I mean, in the whole half. So it's like, you know, I mean, the Argos did just enough to beat them. And and again, like, no outstanding individual performance. I mean, the player of the game was Mwamba, who had uh, three tackles, one knockdown and the pick. Uh, and the one knockdown was an almost pick. It well, was the same. Yeah. It was the same feel. It was the same. He dropped into the zone on Zach twice and caught the second one. Yeah, but if you think about it, I mean, statistically speaking, what? Um, oh, Smith, right? Robbie Smith did that much in like the last two minutes of the game, you know, he had the two uh, sacks and the one of which was called back to be fair, but he had the two sacks and the blocked kick. I mean, statistically that's just enough. And they basically gave it to Moamba because it's like, you know, captain of the defense kind of, so, you know, it's the Ray Lewis situation, you know, it's just like, well, the defense crushed it this game. So, whereas they could have given it to the special teams coordinator, <laughs> Maybe they should have on Toronto. But uh, so, I mean, for you, despite the outcome, how does this rank in, in, in your informal rankings? Joe? We've seen a, we've seen a lot of uh, we've seen a lot of really nail biter, nail biting great cups ever since the Red Blacks started making great cups. Yep. It's going to be one of those that they'll talk about forever. Hmm. I might have to plug my ears when they come, when it comes up and avert my eyes, but it, it's going to belong on that list and fairly. Because it was a back and forth seesaw game. It was a great, 
it was a great showing of what the Canadian game can be. It yeah. didn't have to be yeah. 500 yards passing on both sides to be exciting. Yep. It didn't have yep. to be 48 to 46. It was just good. The game flow was so good the whole way. Yeah. 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 Only one questionable play call. <laughs> really, really kind of shocking. The two block kicks. And by the way, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Will you confirm this for me? So they blocked the field goal and then the bombers got called for no yards? Yes. So what wow. how that works is any kick, a field goal or a punt, is treated the same way in the Canadian game. Except that a field goal or a, a place kick can score points. A punt a punt can only score points on the single. A place kick can score points by going through the uprights. Otherwise, they're treated the exact same way. Right. But that's pretty wild. The ball went downfield past... Yeah, the ball went downfield past the line of scrimmage, which makes it a live ball, which means you have to get five yards. Okay, but what about on the... um, Okay, so what about um, when the returner punts it? Same thing. Same thing. So the returner... Let's assume that we're in that situation. The returner <laughs> kicks it back. You remember watch? I'm sure you've watched that Toronto Montreal back and forth clip a bunch of times, right? <laughs> yes, of course, the classic. Okay, I'm sure every. I'm sure most people know what we're talking about. Where Duval misses it, they kick it out. Duval, it, they kick it out right back to Duval, and Duval punts it back in the end zone. Listen to Dwayne Ford as Toronto kicks it out the first time. So the ball right. goes in. Toronto kicks it out. And as Duvall is getting the ball, Ford is saying, got to give five yards because if let's assume Toronto kicks it back out the second time and it stays out, there could still be a penalty for for, for no yards, giving Montreal another shot. Right, because game can't end up out. Once the ball goes forward on a kick, on a punt or a place kick, a dribbled ball is a different situation, which is a ball that's bouncing on the ground and you kick it. That's a different situation. But an intentional kick like that, a place kick or a punt, you have to give five yards to the returning team. Unless you're an onside player, which is the kicker and anybody behind him. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. They're always going to throw the flag for no yards, but then they're going to come together and say, okay, was he onside? Yes, pick up the flag. The way it okay. always happens. Okay. So the punt is blocked and goes backward. That goes behind Different the punt. Scenario. Then it's live. Ball. Different scenario at that point. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Anybody, it's it's fair game at that point. Okay. Great. All right. right. Once it crosses yeah. the line of scrimmage or in the event of a field kick, like we're talking about on the back and forth, anything at all at that point okay yeah pretty wild pretty wild stuff and again like you were saying it was a great example of the canadian game well you know what's the canadian game without a little obscure rule there in the in at the end of the game in the final minute i mean like you gotta have that right? you gotta have the bizarre rule in there to flavor things up okay so okay joe i i 
I got uh, a bit I want to talk about here, but I, I want your permission first, as you know, myself being kind of a sports history geek at this point, and who's really kind of against this whole like instant hyperbolization of these things. And and you know, I, I made a podcast about it for God's sake. Um, can can I just rant just a little bit about something? Sure. In this game, okay. Immediately, <laughs> I mean. They're doing the kneel down in this game, right? The whistle blows or the clock goes to zeros or whatever. The TSM guy says, the dynasty is denied. Okay? Over there, yeah. the, offic- the official website recap, C- CFL.ca, has the title, title wave, Argos wash away bombers dynasty hopes. Okay? Come on now, folks. Come on. What are we talking about? Let's let I gotta drop some stats here. All right. Let's because you know the general feeling with a dynasty is like a team is dominant over a prolonged period of time, right? Okay, now in football, that ends up being pretty short, right? Because of the punishment taken, long seasons, whatever. Okay, but let's talk about this. All right. Since week 18 of the 2019 season, so we're talking about the last 42 games, okay? The Bombers are 34 and 8 in all games, okay? That's a winning percentage of 8-10, okay? They're winning four games out of five. In that span, the Bombers are 19 and 1 at home, okay? The last two seasons this team have played by winning percentage are two of the best in the 21st century so far, okay? They've played in the last three great cups. And finally, consider this. They haven't lost to Saskatchewan since 2019. They haven't lost to Edmonton since the last week of 2018. And they haven't lost to Ottawa since the first half of the 2018 season. How much more dominant can this team be? Right? I mean, like, like, what is the fascination with, like, officially recognizing this dynasty label? I mean, Jesus. I mean, look, the sports books, and I think that most of the common perception is going to have the Bombers as the favorite again next year. This is a dominant team. This is a historical team. I don't care if they lost by one point to a team that that has the luck of the Irish in these gray cups. You know, I mean, honestly, Joe, am I making, am I getting like too miffed about this? And this is Philly. No, I think you have a point here. Uh, uh, inherent in Dynasty talk is the talk of championships. The Bombers have won two out of three. They're not done yet. With there's a potential that they win a couple more with this with this core group. So it's too early to say that the dynasty is denied. It would have been a lock. It would have been a lock that you'd be talking about the Bombers as a dynasty if they win three in a row. Of course. But they have won two in the past couple of seasons. I don't think people are going to rank Calgary as highly in the last, you know, the run from 10 years ago to five years ago. 
those five or six years where they were on the top of the West or the team you had to take out to be the top of the West because they only won once. I can understand a debate about them, but winning two, winning two in a row and almost a third, you got to give them another couple of years before you call it a denied dynasty. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, like, okay, during the game, they showed the list of CFL quarterbacks that had won uh, two in a row, two great cups in a row, right, with the same team, right? And There aren't a know, whole lot of them. There's like six or seven, right. right, ending with Caleros. However, there's one that's won three in a row, and that's Warren Moon, okay? Yeah, and and I, if I remember correctly, he was pretty good, right? Um, yeah, I think he's in the Hall of Fame in a couple of places, uh, maybe even three places. <laughs> I don't know about his college uh, Hall of Fame, but yeah, he was a pretty good player. Um, yeah. you know, but but again, the point is, is that winning three times in a row with the core group, with the same quarterback, if you like, um, is pretty improbable, you know, and it doesn't mean that it's happened twice. It's happened once in CFL history, if you go back to 58 when it was official, or some historians like 1954, because that's the first year BC was around, and it was the last year that the uh, Ontario Rugby Football Union was involved in the playoffs. So it's kind right. of considered the it's kind of considered the first real year of Canadian football. Although the modern era wasn't constituted for another couple of years. Mm. So it either happens once or twice, depending on which way you've on which on which uh, history you subscribe to. Yeah. So missing out on that by a point ain't terribly bad. In my yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's like, you know, I was thinking about I was thinking about in in the NBA, the Warriors, right? Um, you know. Oh, so so they're not a dynasty because you know there was the one season when they lost to the Cavaliers, and then there was a couple of seasons, including the COVID year, where they didn't win the championship. You know, it's just like they've won it like five times in eight years. It's like I think that's pretty dominant. You know, and, that's a dynasty, and no no question asked. Do you consider I mean, the New England Patriots in the two thousands a dynasty? Well, they had a couple. Yeah. Right, they won three out of four at, at the start of Brady's career. So right, right, yeah. and that third year and that fourth year, they didn't make the playoffs. I was like, right. they, there, there was a while there when Brady was undefeated in the playoffs and he was undefeated in overtime. Now, see again, that's domination. That's domin. You're winning again. The 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 Bombers are winning eighty percent of the time now. You know. Through the twenties, folks, you know, through this decade, you know, I mean, this is this is the second dominant team of the CFL in the twentieth century after Calgary, who was a threat every year there for like eighteen years. And and just so that people don't get sick of us talking about the bombers, let's just point out that all that stuff we just said, and Toronto came into Regina and pushed them around the football field. Yeah. So I think we're going to be talking about them for a few years too. Well, it's, I mean, again, I don't want to, I said this before the show, I don't want to get too much into next season, but things being the way that they are at the end of this year, plus optimism in a few camps, 
such as BC, such as now Hamilton, which we'll talk about momentarily. Um, and, you know, maybe some possibilities for optimism in Edmonton as well. It's going to be a pretty good league next year, you know? And I think that, especially if Toronto uh, goes far next year, that history will be much kinder to them than they're being treated right now in the present. Yeah, year. because they have, they're the, they're the only team since 2010 to have won three. Yeah. And, yeah. And two of those years were 500 years, but they got hot in the playoffs, took care of business, and then fell off right afterwards. It's a dynasty. I have a different, I have a different feeling about this group, though. Yeah. Because a yeah. lot of the advantages the Bombers have, a solid front office and a solid core of veterans, doesn't Toronto have that too? I mean, people yeah. were giving Dinwiddie and uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson a lot of crap all year. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Where are those people now? Oh yeah. They went and, cra- they went and crawled back under. The- they went and crawled back under their rock at this point. Right? Well, to to be fair, to be fair, uh, putting aside how good Bethel Thompson was to start the year, uh, he really got better and better and better through the past. Six or seven games of the regular season, plus the playoffs. I mean, he just got more and more clutch. Uh, he got cooler in the fourth quarter. I mean, you could say the same thing about Harris for Montreal. I mean, with the exception of that one uh, pick, <laughs> that one ridiculous turnover in the Eastern Championship, I mean, pretty much for the whole second half of the season, he just got more and more flawless. He got cooler and cooler under pressure and whatnot as the season went. Same thing with Bethel Thompson. You know, I mean, like at the beginning of the season, you could question him, but towards the end, no, he was making the plays. He was making the plays. No, so, and people were still vocal about that even late in the year when they were sure. putting putting the East in their own hands and taking taking it and running with it. Yeah, right, right. As soon as they broke away. That was there's like been, there's been some valid criticism of Dinwiddie for some of his in-game decisions, mm-hmm. mostly due to mostly with challenges. Sometimes, maybe not, maybe going for it uh, in a situation where it didn't make sense. Those are things that a young head coach is going to struggle with. He's going to learn as he goes. But the one, but the thing that he's got two things going for him, he's got a. Well, actually, three a great staff, a great ability to help with the game plans with those staff with the staff because they always seem prepared. And he's able, he was able to make this team a more cohesive unit and able to get over the hump of last year's East Final disappointment where they collapsed in the second half. Brought him back, got him, got him through all the way this year. This is his first head coaching job, and he's absolutely nailing it at this point. What more could you want from him? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is the thing. is is It's a results-driven game, you know. Um, uh, you, there's a certain yeah, check, mentality. Check, check the results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a certain mentality in, I think, the, the states where um, it's it's kind of okay to sell out your team for the championship, right? At least 
That's what we're telling ourselves in the Los Angeles market, where we've seen the Rams do this and the Lakers do that, right? Kind of gutted the team, kind of sold out for the future and whatnot. You're seeing both of these teams really pay for it this year, uh, taking the hit on the salary cap or whatever. But 2013 writers would also like to have a word on that one. <laughs> exactly. But they won the title. Now, I think, no, I think that the Riders fans, okay, in those seasons with uh, Corey Chamberlain, after they had won the championship and sold out and, and they sort of crumbled over the next two, three, four seasons, I think the fans were okay with that. I think they're a lot angrier about their team now, which is not coming off any sort of cup win uh, than they were back then. I think, I think they, there was, they there was more understanding. Like right. they would have traded. Right. They wanted that once in a lifetime, 2013. Right. Cause that was the last shot they were getting at their old barn. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the now, only shots to be fair, they're going to have, they're going to be hosting more great cups. They, I, I do want to say again, Regina did a fantastic job of hosting this great cup. So I hope they get more in the future. They did really, really well. So they're going to get more chances but I can understand the fans being disappointed that this year went the way it did when any year they were hosting. Yeah. 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 I guess to fill that place and to get people out to Regina, you really need the biggest possible fan bases. Um, maybe if Hamilton had played Saskatchewan, you might've had a, you might've had a real rocking uh, environment for that. Um, the, uh, okay. So, I didn't want to get too much into this, but the reality is, is that basically the offseason, offseason 2023, wow, has already begun in the CFL. Uh, I see this week that some Canadians and Americans both are being signed on to rosters for next year. Uh, Rene Paradise was re-signed in Calgary. And to no one's surprise, Bo Levy-Mitchell went to Hamilton for a third round draft pick this year and a fifth round draft pick in the future. Um, in short, like how much, how much of a boost do you think this will give the tie cats? I mean, I guess you could go two ways on Bo Levy. I guess you could go three ways. Either he's as washed up as he kind of looked for a few games last year, or uh, he just, the head coach just didn't, want to bench him, just wanted to bench him. Or um, he was about as lost up as he was last year, but having had most of the year, uh, having had most of the year off, he'll be nice and fresh next year and still have some productive games. Well, first of all, he has to be signed. He is a free right. agent come February. Right. He has made noises about wanting to test free agency, which is A, his right, and be a potential negotiating play to make Hamilton pony up more money. Right. Because Hamilton's clearly not going to want to give up those draft picks and get nothing out of it. Right. So Hamilton's kind of in a rough spot here. They might have to overpay to bring him in. That said, it's worth a shot. Right. He's yeah. uh, he he has established his bona fides as a CFL starting quarterback. He hasn't been the same since his shoulder injury. You have to wonder if one more year helps with that. You have to 
I wonder if a different voice helps too. Because he's heard the same voices for a decade now at this point. Might be time to see how somebody else puts together an offense that might match his skills better. It's going to be very interesting, but it's also a very clear indication to me that Hamilton's going to put every effort they can to make 2023 a success. Yep. Because guess who's hosting the Grey Cup? <laughs> yeah, well, that's going to be awesome when Montreal makes it. <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we were just talking about, you know, Spelling out the medium term or the immediate short term, uh, they certainly won't mind uh, throwing a few extra dollars at Bo, I'm sure, for this year, too. too. No, and Hamilton's in a position where winning one is going to be equivalent to to three or four years of being a quality team but not making it. Oh, yeah. Because Hamilton's the team with the streak now that's the longest, and they're going to do everything they can to end that streak at home. Yeah, and it seems like they're kind of on a general downswing anyway. After that, it seasoning. might be time. It might be time to to make some major changes. Yeah, and see what they can come up with. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they might have the riders season next season, though. If this goes south, I mean, if they if they can. I mean, just I mean, it's the nightmare. It's the Russell Wilson nightmare scenario, right? You sign this guy and you make him happy and everything, and then he's not got nothing left in the tank. You know, it's, it's like they could be looking at that too. This is a roll of the dice, potentially, potentially. This oh, it absolutely is. It's not, but in Hamilton's position, do you have any choice? No. See, so you don't. You don't. Not really. I mean. Okay, so you you said you were playing around with the free agent scenarios. Who who's out there at quarterback? Not a whole lot. Okay, right, right, yeah. Because most most teams are happy anyway, right? Most teams are willing to stick with what they have anyway, right? Right. We, we were sitting here a couple weeks ago, going, "Where would Bo go?" Even right, right, right. Yeah, it's like Ottawa, which isn't very appealing, or Hamilton. Or Saskatchewan, where you can join about eight other guys. <laughs> but but I think Saskatchewan probably go with Trey Ford, right? No, you're thinking Edmonton, I think. <laughs> Edmonton, right? That's what I mean. Yeah, Edmonton. Um, yeah, so, and Edmonton's got Cornelius under contract too. They're yeah, set, right? They know what their they know what their future is going to entail in the next couple of years. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, a lot of fans got to, got a lot to be. Uh, optimistic about early on <laughs> in the 2023 season all right joe i uh, just wanted to wish you some congratulations uh you were probably among at least the top 10 to post hashtag is it june yet on twitter so nice job on that i don't think you're the first because i saw at least one before you so that tweeted that so uh but you're top 10 i'm sure so also happy thanksgiving uh, happy mm-hmm. Thanksgiving to any American listeners who may be uh, listening to this. And any Canadians that just decided to take the day off on Thursday and have turkey, come come join us. Sure, We're happy to have you. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're listening, I mean, you to already this, do. Like... You you guys already do Black Friday too, so you might as well just join us a day early. <laughs> or if you're a Canadian and listening to this eleven months from now, uh, happy Thanksgiving and. Um, 
I'm not sure when the show will be back. Probably in a couple of weeks. Um, take a take a couple of weeks off here. If you're interested, please check out my sports history fiction podcast, which is really kicking my butt lately, but it's producing a lot of good stuff. Orville Mulligan, sports writer. Check that out. We just did a nice one on the history of football uh, on Thanksgiving Day in America. So quite a quite a long history. It's surprising how old the Thanksgiving football tradition is here in the States. And I guess, how long has the Canadian Thanksgiving game been going on, Joe? Like since the 19th century? That I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I wonder. I'm going to have to better, look that up a, for the next I have holiday. a few people I can ask, and I'll see if I can actually get an answer for you. Yeah, see how far that but goes But I don't back. have that right now. Yeah, because I know that um, in the States, okay, Lincoln proclaims this a holiday in 1863, and the first organized uh, football game between high school teams was in 1869. And literally the year after that, dozens, if not hundreds of major high schools in the U.S. were playing on Thanksgiving Day the very next year. In 1920, the first year of the NFL, uh, they started playing Thanksgiving football games as well, um, as opposed to every other week, which was on Sunday. So uh, it's an age-old tradition here in the States. I'm going to have to look that up for the next podcast. I'll see if I can find out when the Canadian Thanksgiving football tradition begins. But as I said previously, enjoy the holiday. Uh, enjoy the holiday season. We'll be coming back to you soon here on the Rouge Right Flu CFL podcast. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.